This week, we look at the 2010 modern classic Inception. And along the way, we ask, is Leonardo DiCaprio really the most qualified person to hack your dreams? Was this the start of Christopher Nolan worship? And what's up with the Hans Zimmer blaring score? This is Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Movie Podcast. My name is Chris Rupp, and I am joined with my co-host, Sean Culp. Thank you, everybody, for joining us here for our very first episode where we have reviewed Inception. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I speak for both of us, Sean, when I say we are beyond excited to talk about this movie. Oh, totally, man. I love Inception. Where Did you see this in the theaters? Yeah, I did. I saw it, uh, I believe, three times in all different states. Really? I did. I saw it uh, drunk, I saw it high, and then I saw it sober. <laughs> this is one of those movies where I think being in an altered state doesn't exactly help you. <laughs> Dude, it like changed my life each time. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being very excited when this movie was coming out. Yeah. I mean, Nolan was just hot off of The Dark Knight. Oh, totally. And uh, the IMAX screens were going to be a big thing for this movie, and I was just beyond jazz to see it come out. Beyond jazz. Well, it looked very interesting. The marketing was spot on for this movie. Oh yeah, plus the all-star cast. Oh, I mean, it looked everyone. on paper it looked fantastic. I couldn't believe that like Leo was actually going to do something of this big, this caliber. Oh, and he lived up to it. He did. But oh, before totally. we get into everything, let's just give a quick uh, plot overview of the movie. Sure. So, Inception stars Leonardo DiCaprio playing a man named Dominic Cobb, mm-hmm. who's known as kind of an extractor. So he. He kind of, I don't want to say kidnap, but he kind of encounters these executives and people that he's he's targeting while they're sleeping, and he goes into their dreams with them, and he hacks their ideas, and he goes yeah. and sells them. So he's pretty much like a corporate spy. Yeah, he steals, uh, yeah, any information. And um, after a botched job, he's contracted by Ken Watanabe, who plays uh, a, an executive named Saito, mm-hmm. who asks him, can he do Inception? Yes. So instead of stealing dreams, he's now being asked if he can implant a dream in an, in a rival executive who is played in the movie by Cillian Murphy. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of caveats that go with performing oh, yeah. Inception that we come to find out in the movie. Oh, yeah. This film has so many layers. It's like a dream itself. Yeah. And along the way, Cobb is dealing with regrets from his past, and he's mm-hmm. dealing with all these personalities on his team. And we we see his journey that he goes on both his personal life, and while he's performing Inception. Mm -hmm. Will they be successful? Will they be able to finish the heist? And by the way, this episode will spoil the movie for people. Totally. So I I feel like any movie (laughs) podcast should do a spoiler alert, even though this movie's been out for almost nine years. And for me, the statute of limitations on spoilers is five years. Five years. And I don't know if you haven't seen this movie where you've been, but this movie was everywhere. <laughs> I mean, it, it grossed over $800 million. Yeah. We'll, it, we will get into that, though, at once once we talk about it. So, Sean, I mean, where did Nolan come up with this idea? All right. So, the no, so Nolan came up with this idea in 2002. It was right after he finished uh, directing Insomnia with Al Pacino and Robin Williams. He brought a... 80-page treatment about a horror film envisioning dream stealers based on lucid dreaming. However, he pitched it to Warner Brothers, but then he decided midway that he wanted to back out. He needed more experience and time directing films with such a budget. So he went on, as we know, Nolan went on to direct The Prestige, Batman Begins, 
in The Dark Knight. After amassing The Dark Knight, where grossed over a billion dollars, then he felt comfortable and ready to tackle this. I remember both uh, Batman Begins and The Prestige being on kind of really low budget, yeah. low oh, budgets yeah. at the time. The Dark Knight, I think, was done for something like forty to fifty million dollars. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I think the studio was not convinced that a new Batman movie would not no. do well. No, not at all. They were like Batman Begins. Ooh, we don't know how to do this because they just ninety uh, seven. They did the Batman and Robin that just flopped. It killed the franchise. Oh, that was at, when I saw that when I was six. I thought it was amazing, and then seeing it later in life, <laughs> oh, I realized God. that that movie is doo doo stew. It is a train wreck. Come on, Arnold Schwarzenegger running around saying these cheesy lines about freeze. Oh, I think he he got something in the range of millions to oh, totally. actually do those lines. Oh yeah, but so with Nolan, he w- started off pretty much as like an almost an indie director guy, low budget type of dude. Did these crazy artsy films, and then he kind of took over. And Inception, I think that's why it's brilliant because it's kind of an artsy film but with a huge budget i think inception more than any of his other films is kind of his baby it is oh yeah he was he's been working on that he worked on this for over nine years before finally warner brothers took it in 09 yeah finally he had some clout behind his name to where they Mm -hmm. could invest a sizable budget in a movie like this Mm -hmm. and and before we get into casting and all that. I like I said, I remember the marketing, the trailers just being insane and not knowing what this movie was about. There no. was there was vague references to dreams and hijacking and a lot of like, imagery that just this? didn't really line up. Yeah. Like I'm watching these trailers and thinking, what are they talking about? What are they going to be doing in these movies? Mm-hmm. Cuz this whole film is exposition. So for Inception, it was purchased in February of 2009 by Warner Brothers. It was filmed in six different countries. They started on June uh, 19th in Tokyo, and then they finished in Canada on November 22nd. Canada. Canada, my man. Oh, geez. Uh, They released it on the 16th of July, 2010, and then the film ended up going grossing over $800 million, including $68 million in DVD sales. Yeah, it's, well, I contributed my little bit to that. (laughs) For the DVD, absolutely. So let let me, well, we talked about briefly about casting, and we mentioned Leonardo DiCaprio and Ken Watanabe. I mean, who who else is in this movie? So there is Ken Watanabe. There's our glorious Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Mmm, JGL. Yes, I like this film. I always refer it to his casting and deciding if you want to put him in The Dark Knight Rises. Because he got the he this was like the first before mm. he worked with him the second time and I, I don't think he disappointed. There's also Ellen Page that's in this film. Tom Hardy. Yeah, well, that's the be all and end all is Tom Hardy. <laughs> we will get into Ellen Page <laughs> oh, and, and her and we'll get into Ellen Page because she is a major point of criticism in this movie and has been since it came out. Mm-hmm. There's one of uh, Cillian Murphy, we mm-hmm. have who is Nolan's fan favorite. Pretty much. Tom uh, Beringer. Beringer. Beringer, my bad. And the- He's a treasure. How do you not know that name? Dude, I <laughs> I actually didn't even know who he was until I saw this movie and like started looking at Really? You didn't movie. see Platoon? No, I saw Platoon, but when I saw it, I didn't really take it in. Okay, fair enough. I just remember like, um, what's his face? Just like getting shot up. That is the throwing. imagery. That is. Mm-hmm. That is the imagery. Who else is in this? There And there's Michael Caine. Well, yeah, he's, he's another also, one of Hol- another one. Nolan's like movies. Silly, absolutely. So we have those all-star casts. A fun fact about the role of Cobb. So Leonardo DiCaprio, before they picked him, uh, 
Nolan campaigned hard for him. He always wanted to work with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. But they actually pitched the role to Will Smith and Brad Pitt. Will Smith kind of exactly. has this knack for p- passing on these really good roles. Totally. I think he did like After Earth instead of this film. Well, that was a big mistake. Yeah, right? Well, I'm really glad they got DiCaprio in this because he was kind of, he wasn't exactly riding high when he did this movie. No. no, no. In 06, he did The Departed, which won mm-hmm. uh, the Academy Award for Best Picture. And then he did Blood Diamond, which yeah. he was nominated Incredible for Best film. Actor. That Those two were both really good movies. But he was kind of kind of spinning around not really doing roles that they were good roles but i don't know if they were good for him like he did revolutionary road super which, drama yeah that, oh god that movie is just rife with drama well there was like they wanted to bring what nicole kidman and him back in a film kate so winslet like, or kate winslet my bad and they wanted to uh like titanic yeah and they, it, it was a drama it they wanted good. to set titanic in the 1950s pretty much with that <laughs> And then he did Body of Lies, which was like that CIA drama with Russell Crowe, which which wasn't great. No. Entertaining, yeah, great, absolutely not. And then he did Shutter Island. He reunited with Martin Scorsese. Yes. Which I liked that film. I saw it twice. But you didn't love it. I didn't love it. Yeah. it, It For me, it just got really confusing. It did. It did. (laughs) <laughs> so he was kind of spinning around after this. He didn't, and then he gets this, mm-hmm. which everybody's like, okay, can he pull this type of movie off? Yeah, because he was, this isn't like his style. He's never been that type of guy. Yes, and he fit the role of Cobb incredibly well, mm-hmm. I have to say. Oh, yeah, he plays guilt so very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, what do you say we actually get into discussing the movie? Sure, I'm down. Uh First off, I got to start with this question. What do you think Cobb did to be known as the most skilled extractor? Well, he's the most skilled, so obviously I feel like he pulled several heists where he just got so much information, made millions. I mean, you can't be the most skilled unless, A, your pool in which you operate in is very small. Mm-hmm. So unless like he's like the only one, or B, maybe he's pulled off heists that just like he cashed in. Well, the we can infer that, but there's no past mention of his previous jobs, though. No, we no. don't know what's going on. They all just—it's always like throwaway lines. Like really, who this guy used to be. Really, right away in the beginning of the movie, we see his failures come to light. Yes, like that first job that he's on with Arthur and uh, hacking Saito, for lack of a better word, <laughs> it goes horribly wrong. No, yeah, it didn't work out at all. I mean, we see his his wife, who we don't know his is deceased at the size. Yeah. We see Marion Cotillard. Who play? Who's playing Maul? It's like, just what? show up and ruin the job. Mm-hmm. So I mean, is he really the best, or is he more like an athlete who's lost his edge? <laughs> I feel like the entire film, he was an athlete that lost his edge. Yeah, he just you don't see it. It's I like mean, it's like it was Michael Jordan when he played on the Wizards. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, this is the cob that we have. This is the yeah. This is the cob we have. The cob who's not that good at his job anymore. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I mean, and also, to, I mean, moving right along after that scene when there, it turns out it's a dream within a dream. Yeah, and, with the pushback. Yeah, yeah. So right away, that kind of hooks the audience in and sees like, oh, we're in, we're in for a big ride here. If they can do dreams within a dream, like that's mm-hmm. insane. But also, too, I mean, the level of detail that has to be in these dreams. Yes. When Saito lands on that rug and he's like, oh, this, this isn't the right. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is polyester. Normally what I lay on is wool. <laughs> but everything else is correct. <laughs> everything else is fine except but the rug. The rug. Uh, but I did like, though, like how the beginning of the scene, they 
it's like they're telling the audience. So you're taking on a journey where you can understand things. It's almost they're breaking apart how they do the dreaming world. So mm-hmm. for the audience, you're just not like, oh my gosh, what the frick? Well, is no this? detail is too small to overlook. No, not at all. And this scene really kind of sets up. But this movie just kind of moves from one scene to the next. Yes, they do. They have gr- he has great pacing. Yes, absolutely. And every scene has meaning. There's nothing like throw away them staring off it out the window for some BS. Well, because the architect messed up in this scene where Saito figures it out, well, then that leads to the architect being murdered by Saito's guys. Yeah. And then it leads to Cobb having to go find a new architect in Alan Page's character. That's right. And then it just kind of moves right along and right along and right along. So, yes, I mean... I mean, say what you will and criticize Christopher Nolan as much as you want. I mean, I won't accept it. But the pacing <laughs> of his movies is incredible. Very much. If so. you follow them along and you pay attention, there you are enthralled for two hours. Oh, yeah. In this film, he does a great job with exposition. Um, the entire film, it's like setting you up for the heist for the first hour. And it's great. It's yeah. great storytelling. It was so well written. And we... I mean, after all this botched job, we see the real Saito show up and yes. offer these guys a job. Well, d- does he offer, or is it more like an ultimatum? I think it's more of an ultimatum because yeah. he's perfectly willing to kill the architect who messed up, but the yeah. architect also sold Cobb and Arthur out. He did. He did. I think his name was Nash. Well, that's so not really not- important because <laughs> I'm assuming he gets thrown off of some building in <laughs> Shanghai. That's right. Yeah, I'm so- assuming that that's what happened, mm-hmm. but... I, like, how powerful or connected is Saito that it, he's able to instantly pardon Cobb if he's able to pull off Inception? Oh, he's a Japanese businessman. I don't get it. <laughs> he's got to be Illuminati. <laughs> if he's able to just say, like, if you pull this off, like, wor- you get to go back home, you see your kids again, and, oh, don't worry about that murder charge. I'll get that taken care of. Maybe he's married to, like, a, a Rothschild or something. Oh, he like a Rothschild, <laughs> and he's cousins with a Rockefeller. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And Bill Gates is like his golfing buddy or something. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> He's got to be just connected out the wazoo. Jobs. All right. So they Saito, and then that's where, so he Saito offers them, I guess, an ultimatum. Hey, you want to get back to the United States because Cobb can't get back in. Mm-hmm. So they're looking for a new architect, and that's where they find Ellen Page. Yes. Yes. She, they find her. She's a grad student for Michael Caine who his character is Cobb's father-in-law. Which I didn't know that when I saw the movie. I had an inkling that he either he was Cobb's teacher in the past. I didn't know yeah. he was. I mean, if he's Maul's father, though, like, why doesn't he really, like, why isn't he more angry at yeah, Cobb? Yeah, well, I didn't understand that either when I saw it. It just, because, well, well, I guess his, Michael Caine's character, he invented the whole dreaming thing. Like, that. he's part of the reason why, I guess, they work together. Cobb does what he does. Because I found this out, because while I was watching the film, I paused it on the chalkboard, and when they're in that one scene, like, it's all stuff about, like, dreaming and stuff, so I'm like, oh, okay, he's the professor that kind of invents it all. And well, then where's Michael that? Caine gave interviews where he's like, oh, I'm the guy that invented it. Where's that movie where we see Michael Caine actually come up with, in you know, sharing dreams? Yeah, right? That would be a great movie. A nice prequel. Right? A young Michael Caine. There's so many movies I want to see come out of Inception. Yes. I want this whole we'll Inception universe. <laughs> we want to see Cobb when he's when he's good. I want to see I want to see good Cobb. I don't want to see bad Cobb. He, he is pretty bad at his job in this. <laughs> but... But Michael Caine is oddly willing to just offer up yeah. his best student for a criminal venture. That doesn't see that's exactly what kind of 
teacher is that man and then we actually see Ethics. ellen page and then to me she if there is a flaw in this movie it is ellen page mm-hmm. and unfortunately she's in literally every single scene after this she is? she is just permeating every scene with her little delivery and she is a tiny individual i mean that's not a knock on her as an actor but she's just so little well christopher nolan i guess he said he chose ellen page for her perfect combination of freshness savviness and maturity beyond her years there's probably like 200 actresses in hollywood (laughs) who could have offered the exact same thing (laughs) cobb then recruits ariadne ellen page's character to the criminal venture and this is where we see arthur now in his element where he kind of is the facilitator of the group almost yeah so they say that uh arthur he's basically like the researcher and the manager of the missions he's like the producer of cobb's art Mm. That's what they, I guess, their characterization for for him. And apparently he did all of his stunts, except one. Really? I swear. Yeah. Well, I, I believe that. I mean, and, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's kind of a tough guy. And they were going to pick James Franco, but it didn't work out due to scheduling conflicts. I don't... How crazy would The that movie be? would not have been with better James with Franco. James Franco. No. Know. This... Yeah. this, this once, once you see the movie and you see Joseph Gordon-Levitt doing his thing, you really can't imagine anybody else in it. No. Yeah, James Franco, that wouldn't work. Well, Arthur also mentions in the movie that the military developed shared dreaming. Yeah. And this, this is, we're getting into the, now the science of Inception. Mm-hmm. And I actually found a very interesting article on psychology today mm-hmm. by uh, Ira Himmon about the science of Inception. Okay. Turns out sharing dreams is impossible. You can't do that because you're, 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 there's no way to get inside, literally get somebody inside someone's subconscious. You can't do that. <laughs> that would be wild but however creating dreams isn't impossible yeah I, we can't see other people's thoughts but our mood or our behavior that might betray us we can see all that so when arthur says to saito in the beginning of the movie don't think about elephants and he says what are you thinking about elephants, elephants. like this is actually what's known as the white bear effect or, oh or it's uh they actually have a or it's the rebound effect it's formulated by daniel wagner okay so the more you're told not to think about something, you end up thinking more about it afterward. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. That well, that, that's that's pretty obvious, and that's always true. Um, the rebound effect. I mean, yeah, the rebound effect, because it kind of bounces back at you. Mm-hmm. So starting from this, from this thought of the more you're told about something, the more you think about it, you can create dream inception. Okay. So you can do this in a simple sleep exercise. You ask people to think about either someone they are attracted to or someone they like but they're not exactly attracted to yeah you engage them in a five minute writing task before they go to sleep okay some were told to either suppress thoughts about the person that they were thinking about or some were told to think about that person and write them down and then after they wake up they respond to a dream questionnaire and like the um, pretty much the study concluded that emotional connection is not the cause of dreams emotional connection yeah okay it's pretty much just whatever you are thinking about at that time. Either like you're thinking about like a basketball game or you're thinking about yeah. driving a car at the time. Sure. There is no real emotional connection to dreams. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Whatever's on your mind. So like if you always work all the time, you have dream nightmares of your job. I have that all the time. Oh, in my previous life as a barista, I still have nightmares about making lattes Yo, all day long. You still dream about making lattes? I still Dude, do. I haven't so... worked. I haven't done that job in over two years, and I still think about making lattes oh, and frappuccinos. That is terrible. I'm a server, and I always have like. It's got to be at least like three three days a week. 
it's automatic because I'm still even making the movements of steaming the milk and pulling the espresso shots. Oh my god! I can see it all in my mind sometimes. So that's how me and Chris worked actually at at the Holy Starbucks, mm. but. I only had one nightmare of Starbucks when I worked there. Well, and, and you was, are lucky. It was, it was awful. It was just endless. You know, you never can make enough. God, those are the worst. Well, I mean, you, you mean you're lucky. You just are. <laughs> so, well, I mean, and then now getting back to the movie here. I mean, we see Ariadne and Cobb kind of go around and they're playing around in the dream world pretty much. And this is where Ariadne gets her introduction to Maul and all her, mm-hmm. her psychoticness. Or I guess it's more Cobb's manifestation of her yeah. psychoticness. Yeah, because she's just she's like what they call a man eater. That's what Christopher Nolan coined her character. She's a man eater. Well, I prefer femme fatale. femme fatale. Yeah, femme fatale. She is a femme fatale in this movie. She is. I mean, but I have to add, I mean, do you root more for Maul or do you root more for Ariadne in this movie? Oh, definitely. It's, it's, uh, I don't know. I feel like for Ariadne, you like she's a good character, so mm-hmm. you want them to be successful. But with Maul, it's like her character is so tragic. It's like you feel so many emotions about her. It's like you almost want her him to kill her, like give her up. Ariadne is very doe-eyed in the movie. She's very naive as to what is actually going on. Yeah. But then Maul isn't. Maul is more, like I said, she's the manifestation of all of Cobb's regret and sadness. We don't see the full Maul. No. We don't see the bright, happy, shiny, beautiful woman that she was before before she died. Yeah, she's the manifestation of his guilt, and that's kind of the brilliance of the writing because he doesn't even like know his wife. He, no. All he knows is just like the terrible moments, which it, I think He can't get past his own regret and sadness for what uh, happened to her. Which is why he kills her, too, which he throws out the line, you know, it's stupid to keep you here because I don't your all your complexities. It's just you're a shade of your former self. I think is along the lines of what he says. Yeah, it's it would be stupid to keep you here. Yeah, I just gotta let you. Which is just the writing for her character. Her character was probably one of the deepest. So after we get Ariadne kind of roped into the group, then we get kind of get like a Nolan's version of a montage where he goes to Mombasa and recruits Eames or Tom Hardy's character, which. Tom Hardy is probably at his best in this movie. Oh, dude. So Tom Hardy, how did he describe his character? It's it's brilliant. So he says that his character is an old Graham Greene type diplomat, sort of faded, shabby, grandeur, the old Shakespeare lovey mixed with somebody from her majesty's special forces who wears a campy old money costume. That's just a lot of words. I I maybe I maybe knew like six words that he said and all that. Isn't he British? Yeah, he is British. Why doesn't he like... just say he's like some old timey spy from the fifties or sixties? Well, I mean, I feel like he, he... dude, he's an actor. Get to the point, Tom Hardy. Come on, you should ha- get a cup of coffee with Peter Jackson. It'll be a six hour meeting at Starbucks, <laughs> and then they'll make a trilogy out of it. Yeah, pretty much. God damn it! I mean... Oh man, but so... did, but do you think Tom Hardy peaked in this movie? Peaked. Uh, maybe. I mean, he got super famous. He did. The, this, this movie catapulted him to I famous. Think this film definitely like catapulted him into doing big budget films where people would trust him, not doing indie films anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it gave him more room. Yeah, definitely. To, to act as an artist. Uh, his character is just incredible. Oh. Like, he literally saves this film. Pretty much. Like, the first couple times I watched it, I was so focused on Leo because I was like obsessed with his character at the time, or as the actor himself. I was like, this guy's so great. But watching it later, 
Now it's like, oh my God, uh, Tom Hardy, he's great. But Eames is awesome because he shares Cobb's, um, not exactly optimism, but he shares the thought of like, yes, it can't, Inception yeah, can be yeah, done. Yeah. And then Arthur is just like, oh, you He's can't do this. You can't do that. The whole time. And Arthur and Eames just have this history. That like, that's yeah. another movie I want to see. I want to see the job that they were on together yes. that just split them up and just like, <laughs> I can't work with this guy ever again after this. Yes. Well, you feel like when I saw it, I was like, I thought Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character thought um, Tom Hardy was just, you know, he's a middleman. I thought he felt he was like scum because that's his character. Essentially. He's like a middleman. He's a thief. Yeah, I think it's technical, calls him like a forger. Yeah, a but forger. Be, I mean, I think he would be, if he were in the mob, he would be like a button man. He would be the guy who gets things done. Yeah, they say he was like the guy that steals from someone and then sells the goods to rich people and they don't know that it's stolen. He's the guy, he's the used car salesman. But Eames is awesome. He is he's awesome. Got, he's got his skills and then he's he's also connected to the chemist who helps them out later in the job. Yes, the pharmacist. Yes. Yeah, Yusuf. Who Yusuf. we will we'll get into him because he's awesome too. He's great. I mean, but in here in Mombasa, we kind of get the first big action sequence of the movie. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the movie itself. I mean, there's this great top-down shot of Leo when he's running through the alleyways in Mombasa. Yeah. And you just see all these interconnected alleys together in the movie. So it just, it just cool. reinforces that imagery of the maze. Mm-hmm. It's the, the movie itself. Themes does all throughout the movie itself feels overall like a maze. Yeah. Like, yeah. when you're down in the dream levels, like, the geography is, I don't want to say convoluted, but there's just so much complexity in the mm-hmm. geography of everything. It's like a dream itself. Yeah, like, and you layer everything on top of all the paths of where people are going, and it it's a maze. It is. And isn't that action scene the only scene, action scene that takes place in, like, the real world? I, yeah. yeah that is the like only one. one. The f- yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is also, too, where we get our red shirt of the movie. Yes. The one guy. <laughs> the one guy who actually dies in this movie is a nameless uh, cobalt assassin who is pursuing Leonardo DiCaprio, who ends up getting murked by his own guys in a cafe. Gosh. <laughs> I mean, yes, he is the red shirt of the movie. He doesn't, he I, as far as I can tell, he doesn't speak in the movie, and he no. steps into friendly fire and gets himself killed. He's the only guy right after Leonardo just is refused service in this cafe for whatever reason and is forced to flee. Like the guy's yeah. just trying to blend in, bring him a coffee, just so get he can, him one. What yeah, <laughs> don't refuse him service. That's Why would rude. You, right? You don't want to make money off of him. I just uh, that was so. We, I mean, I mentioned Cobol Engineering. I mean, who yeah. do you think is the bad guy in this movie? Oh, that's see. I think none of them are yeah. good guys because, like, it's like Saito. So Fisher's company, right? It's like they're a monopoly almost, and they're trying to control the world. Yeah, Saito's motives for trying to inception, um, Cillian Murphy's character are really kind of unclear. Yeah, I mean, his goal is to prevent this global monopoly, but what exactly is that going to do for Saito? more business for it. Yeah, and then we see so this monopolize. Then we see this nameless corporation in Cobol trying to kill Leonardo DiCaprio because the yeah. dream spying job didn't go well. Mm-hmm. So really like the corporations are the bad guy. Mm-hmm. These nameless, these faceless powerful corporations who are pulling these strings in corporate espionage and trying to murder people left and right. I mean, these are the bad guys of the movie. Yeah, right? I mean, this isn't like Nolan's other movies where there is the bad guy. Like, Insomnia had 
uh, Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dark Knight films had all those villains. The Prestige had Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman kind of being villains towards each other. Memento was Guy Pierce's character. Yeah. He was the bad guy. Yeah. Inter- Sorry, spoil. Yeah, so, spoilers. <laughs> Bitch, again, the statute of limitations has run out of Memento. Memento came out in 2000. Yeah. It's been 19 years. You people have had time to see Memento and figure out who the bad guy is in that. <laughs> but that is a good question. Who is the bad guys? The corporations definitely. The corporations are the bad guys. I wouldn't say uh, Leo's morally ethical because he's working for these corporations, but maybe it's because he has to because he wants to get back to the USA. Needs money. He does need money. I mean, not that I know from experience, but I got to think that living on the run isn't exactly cheap. No, no. And is Cobb his real name? Like how? It has to be because that's how everybody knows. I mean, Michael Caine knows him as that and he doesn't even bother to change his passport when he actually I know. makes it back to what? the United States. But wouldn't they be after him? Like that's Right? I wouldn't that's... It that show up right away on customs like murder, you're under arrest. <laughs> exactly. This like How that, much that customs agent just like calls over his buddies like handcuffs now, him Whoa. do it. Gosh, they got El Chapo in America. They right? could get Cobb. And then after we kind of get the team together and everybody's Again, this is kind of Nolan's version of the montage, but they're they're training to go on the big job and they're figuring out how to actually do it. And then we get Saito who shows up again. Yes. And he's actually quite insistent on inserting himself into everything part of the job, despite having little to no experience doing anything like this. So they literally have two people with no experience. Yeah. It's like, it's like, hey, NFL, can I play quarterback this weekend? Yeah. Like, nobody does that. You can't just insert yourself into something you don't know about. There's going to be more experienced people who are going to be like, um, no, you need to sit down. Like, well, I guess if he's kind of the money behind everything. He is. Because he has that great line. I bought the airline. Like, okay, that's kind of a badass line. That is. <laughs> I own it. Yeah. <laughs> I can do anything I want. But while they're training for this job, I mean, when they're all doing this in the real world. We see Tom Hardy kind of infiltrate Tom Berenger's yeah. inner circle, and he's supposed to be like the the top lawyer for um, like Robert Fisher. Yeah, well, Tom Berenger, yeah, he's supposed to play the father figure for um, Fisher. Yes, he's the only they call. I guess he calls him like Uncle Tom or Uncle Uncle Peter. Uncle Peter through the fi- through the film, but because the uh, Fisher's dad. So the relationship between them, the entire film, is like it's strained. He has everything materialistically, but except the emotion. It's connection. it's very complicated their relationship because they're trying to insert do inception the idea into Cillian Murphy that my father doesn't want me to be like him. Yeah, which I think is true of a lot of father yeah. figures. Oh, totally. You, I mean, you you want your sons to grow up to be better than you. You don't want them to be carbon copies of you because you know you you may have lived a life of regret or yeah. You have become an angry person or you're working a dead-end job. I mean, you don't want your son to turn out to be exactly like you. You want your son to be better. Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, which is true. I mean, and Robert Fisher's father is played by the great, late, great Pete Postlewaite. Yeah, he's so good. Yeah, he's good in every movie he's oh in. Oh, my gosh. He's one of those bit characters that just, he, whenever you insert him, he's just incredible. He was that elements. guy. He was. He was that guy for like 30 years, and unfortunately, he passed away. He did. If you want to see a good film that he's in, watch The Town. Yes, he plays a mob boss in that who uh, tries to go after Ben Affleck, and that works out for him so well. <laughs> go see The Town, people. Go see The Town. Sh- should we talk about the idea of Inception? What Inceptioning someone is? Yes. 
I'm going to inception you. I'm going to inception you. <laughs> I feel like that that really became a meme after this movie. Like let's let's inception. I, I you. wish it would have, but I feel like with social media, it just wasn't that like it is nowadays. Like if this film came out today, oh, if it came out in the Twitter and when Twitter was in its heyday, yeah, like people would just be tweeting about it. what do you think this dream means? What do you think that means? Like totally. what would your dreams look like? Right? Oh, because there are you can control your dreams in some elements, but let's inception, inception. How do you inception someone? Well, we already talked about it with the the rebound effect. You can do dream inception, but I mean, I mean, it's really hard to trace the genesis of an idea. It is. You can't. I mean, so, I mean, yes. I mean, there is that line of you can't fake inspiration. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but I mean, not even the greatest actors. Exactly. <laughs> so they're trying to inception that into his dad, mm-hmm. into Fisher, and they are successful we'll see we'll see if they Maybe. are that we don't get a sequel for this <laughs> but in, i mean during this this training montage one of the better scenes to me in the movie is when ariadne discovers Cobb is going under on his own yeah from when he's oh yeah yeah yeah. and then they're just like what is this yeah i mean shady thing that you're doing are you an addict yeah this is definitely addict behavior on his part because it, 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 besides the fact that he's aided by chemicals to go under and relive his dreams yeah I mean, it's, and he even says, like, oh, I need to change these memories. Like, you can't do that. No. I mean, this is something that you have to carry with you, like, your regret and your anger and your sadness towards how things turn out. This is something that you have to carry. Yeah. But you need to be able to process it. And deal with it. Yeah, and deal with it, not go back to your memories all the time and say, oh, these were happier times with me and my wife. Like, Deal with it. We've all dealt with sadness and Gosh. loss before, but... Let it go, man. <laughs> do your best to at least let it go. I mean, he's doing it in secret. He's aided by chemicals. It's not good. It's not healthy for him to be doing this. And I feel like he's just... And he's just like refreshing, recreating Maul, making her character more and more depressed. Yeah, it, it's it's feeding into his sadness and regret, which in turn is making her stronger. Yeah. And manifesting herself in her... in his other jobs Mm -hmm. which again going back to the point that leonardo dicaprio not being as good as his job in this movie as he thinks he is (laughs) he's so lousy i did like how they created his dreams like in the elevator Mm -hmm. that was kind of brilliant to me at least when i saw it i'm like huh they're like controlled in these little segments yeah that was there was a lot of cool little touches in this movie that i that were mm, they're too numerous to mention we'll be here for days talking about all these cool little touches (laughs) So they go in. Yes, we finally get to the big job. Yes, and I thought it was a nice little touch. If it's if it's started, they're in. Apparently, they're in Yusuf's dream. Yeah, and it's a nice little touch. We see it raining. Apparently, Yusuf has to pee, and it's <laughs> it's just raining everywhere. I mean, Tom Hardy has that great line: "Too much free champagne." Yeah. Well, they actually talked about um, with dream scientists i guess in the real world they said what they liked about nolan's film is he incorporated actual real elements to people how they dream in real life Mm -hmm. like if you have to pee sometimes you feel yourself on water or if you literally get submerged in water those elements seep into your dreams yeah they did real research about this which is kind of cool well yeah it it definitely strengthens the film the movie itself yeah absolutely i mean the act and then the job just starts off strong Yes. Like that that freight train just comes oh. through and then we get we get Fisher's militarization projections that come in, what? which I have to ask how what is the process of militarizing someone's subconscious? How do you do that? That's incredible. I mean, cuz if I mean, I would sign up for that. 
<laughs> Militarize your subconscious. I mean, I'm, what training did he go under? This has to be like an again. This has to be a niche industry, just like extractors are. It has to be. Because how again? How do you do that? <laughs> are you doing lucid dreaming where you're dreaming about like fighting in a war, or right. you're in a Muay Thai fight, or something? That would be crazy. That like um. They should do research on like soldiers. Yeah, like how they dream. Maybe that's how. I uh, it, the mind is boggled the mind about is. about trying to figure out the complexities of militarizing a subconscious. Indeed, I would love to see that film. And then and the, the job the job right away kind of goes sideways with Saito totally. getting shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then it's like, oh well, we'll just wake him up by shooting him in the head. Like, no, oh, the sedation, no. like. Wouldn't, wouldn't you think the sedation would be something that Cobb discloses before the job starts? Like, what? I mean, these people have to know what they're getting into with this sedation. How much money are they paying them? Well, Cobb is giving up his share. I know. And so he it's almost like he's not expecting to make it out of this job, or he just is expecting that it's going to go wrong and he's going to get arrested when they land. It's all or nothing, man. Yeah, he's like, well, like, how much of a share did he promise you? Like, oh, his whole share. He he gave me all his money. Yeah. It's like, dang, dude. Like, do you really not think you're going to make it out of here? Wow. I mean, I have to think that Cobb, somewhere in his mind, is just not optimistic that the job is going to go well by giving Yusuf his share. Dude, I'm telling you, once again, he is the MJ of the Wizards. He gave up his entire salary those two years. This is the parallels. Yeah, well, he also drafted, who was it, Kwame Brown, and that <laughs> turned out so well. So, well, I guess that could be Ellen Page. Yeah, Ellen Page is the Kwame Brown of this movie. <laughs> so She's the number one draft pick who did not pan out and just washed out after three years. <laughs> So the train in in the beginning part of the job is definitely symbolic of Maul. Yes. And do you think Maul was complicit in Cobb's life as an extractor before things went south on him? Before they went south on him? She had to have known what he was doing or where he was getting his money. I can't remember. I feel like they both were in it together. Like they both would enjoy the dreaming. Yes. And we see that, that section of the movie where they did enjoy the dreaming, where they were something in a, in a dream for something like 50 years. Yeah. Just building and recreating things that they wanted to do. Which is insane. So she had to have had an idea of what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Like, there's oh, totally. no way. Totally. Like, And it's true with mob wives, too. They know what their husbands are doing, but they just know better not to ask. I feel like maybe she took part in it. Maybe yeah. that's how they met. Yeah. Maybe that's another movie we kind of get out of this is, is we see Maul and Cobb go on a job together. Yes. And that's where their love begins and festers. So we, we've got, there's a whole Inception universe that can just be, I mean, that can come from this movie. I mean, her ability to kill people is so prevalent throughout this film. She and must have just been insane. And apparently to just be incredibly sneaky like that. Totally. To, to just stab people and shoot them. And she was the forger. She was the Tom Hardy. Before. Yes. Yes, she was. Oh my gosh. Which, speaking of Tom Hardy, why do you think Tom Hardy's face has to be covered in every movie he's in? <laughs> I think Because he puts that bag on his head, and he's, his face is just covered in so many of the movies he's Dude, in. That's like that's like asking why does Samuel L. Jackson always pick weird hair pieces every film? Well, considering he's bald in real life, maybe he's just maybe, maybe he's just wishing for better days. Maybe Tom Hardy is like, that's his thing, man. He just likes covering his face with bags. Yeah. So we get the first part of the job. We get the, the initial dream, and then we go to the dream within a dream. Yes. Where we have Mr. Charles and the Stein job. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this is vintage cop. 
Yes. This is where we finally see Leonardo DiCaprio be good at his job. Mm -hmm. We see him be able to separate Fisher from his security. He's able to break down his his militarization and he's able to get Fisher to trust him mm -hmm. to go forward or to go deeper into the dream. So the, to me, this is vintage Cobb in the movie. Yes. This is the Cobb that we should have been seeing for a long time. When he plays Mr. Charles. Yes, he gets Mr. Charles. But they say Mr. Charles didn't work. The first time, the first time they tried doing it, it's like, oh, no, the, the projections kind of close in on us. But now we see it work. It does. So I feel like the, the Mr. Charles play is is pretty much a gamble. Yes. Well, yeah. that's his whole... Like, well, it's I, the flea flicker in football. Yeah. That's like, right. it either it's either a big... It, they always say this on TV, too. It's either a big play or a boo-boo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's part of Cobb, I feel like, who he is as an uh, extractor. He's just very... He's off the cuff, man. He'll do whatever. He he's able to roll with, with it. He's able to change the plan. He and is the Peyton Manning of the dreams. He throws so many audibles. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> he's just yelling Omaha in the dreams. <laughs> okay, but I think we. I think at this point, and when we're in the dream within the dream, I think we get the lens flare of the movie. Yes. Oh, yes. Now, knowing what we know about Ellen Page's sexuality, which she is a lesbian, mm -hmm. um, is the kiss between her and Joseph Gordon-Levitt awkward? I mean... I don't. I feel it was like, awkward when I saw the movie. <laughs> it was, awkward. and it's awkward now. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, for the film, for the film standpoint, I saw it. I'm like, what the heck? What? It doesn't do anything. No. It's it's almost like, I mean, it's almost like Joseph Gordon-Levitt has roped Ellen Page into the Me Too movement by <laughs> tricking her into giving him a kiss. I know, and it's not like you can't come at me and say, oh, they had such chemistry. They flirted so much. It was so, they did not. Ellen Page didn't have chemistry up. with anyone in the movie. No, not really at all. Like, there was, it was just like her and Cobb. That was it. Like, them together, like, their dynamic is a relationship. But there was no, like, her and Arthur. Yeah, it was just like... I was never, like, hoping, oh, boy, I hope yeah, they finally... Yeah, there wasn't any point in the movie where I was hoping that they hook up once they land in real life and, no. just, and rekindle <laughs> this romance and they go get dinner wherever they landed. No. Like, there was no hope of me in, <laughs> for that. Totally. I totally agree. I uh, Awkward in the standpoint of knowing that she's a lesbian. I mean, no, not really. No, I mean... She's an actress. Yes, she's an actress. And she, um, besides this role, she is a good actress. Yes. But... Juno. But to me, like the kiss was awkward then, and it's awkward now. Totally, totally. It Sexuality make, besides, it didn't make sense. But also it. in this dream within a dream, we have and I, the rotating hallway fight. Yes, that is that is one of the bigger action pieces of the movie because I yes. mean, seeing it for the first time, I was just thinking, how in the world did they do this? Yeah, well, I didn't. I was trying to figure out too. Were they rotating it? It was rotating it. They had the actors on wires and the stunt people, and the camera work on it is incredible. And it's a rotating hallway fight. I that I remember that being a big piece of the marketing of the movie too. Oh yeah. It was like what they're floating and they're flying and it's all in a hallway. Like what's happening here? What is this? Is this a kung fu film? Right. I mean, although I don't know if Joseph Gordon-Levitt could pull off a kung fu movie. <laughs> I mean, he's no Bruce Lee. No, no, he isn't. And we've seen Matt Damon try to play <laughs> no mad david is just more of like muay thai bruiser i'm gonna i'm gonna whoop you because i'm jason Bourne. that's that's matt damon's fighting style there it is so true is very much like uh tom hardy's character yes he's just bam which is a good segue for we get we finally get to the third dream level the dream yes. within a dream within a dream that big mountaintop 
fight. Which is a montage influenced by a James Bond film. Yes, this is act- it's actually one of my favorite James Bond films. Yes. It's uh it's called Honor Majesty's Secret Service, starring George Lazenby in his only appearance as James Bond because he pretty much just wanted the role for fame and fortune. Cash. <laughs> Cash, he actually badgered the producers of the James Bond film to like, "Hey, put me in the movie. I buy I buy your suits from this the suits from the same place you do. Let's do this." Oh my gosh. He was so unknown at the time. I think his only like credit at the time was a commercial. Oh, that, what? Wow. Yeah, I think it was. I am probably wrong about well, that they, though. I mean, he's smart. He's forever in film history as one yeah. of the Bonds. But th- I mean, this scene in general, I think, was Nolan's audition yeah. to direct a future James Bond film, which I still do not know why he hasn't been asked to do a Bond film yet. A Bond film? <laughs> a he Christopher was, Nolan Bond film? That would be the most epic Bond film ever made. It's already wow. a, It would already be a billion-dollar grossing movie I'm if Christopher re- Nolan attaches his name to a James Bond film. I'm trying to wrap my mind around like what themes he would even talk about. Is Daniel Craig Bond still? Daniel Craig's doing one more Bond movie. Yeah. And then that's it, man. There, yeah. there you go. There is your campaign for a Nolan Bond film after Daniel Craig's done. Yeah. You reboot it with a Christopher Nolan one, and then you're already starting off with like a billion and a half dollars. <laughs> so they're at the mountaintop. They have to get down with the slopes to yes. get to Fisher's. And apparently the militarization is just ramped up because now there's like these the, there's these Humvees on these snow tracks. There's snowmobiles. There's these guys on skis and automatic weapons. It's a fortress, man. And Eames is apparently able to just hold off all of them. All of them. Because that's how cool Eames is. He is. I mean, he's so cool. He is. He has the best lines in this entire film. Oh, you mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. <laughs> like that's that's the line from this movie. Everybody has kind of like their cool line in the movie. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is also too where we again we get Ariadne kind of being annoying again. Yeah, because she picks the absolute worst time to ask complicated dream questions. I know why, why? I mean, also too. I mean, this is the climax of the movie. Everybody picks the worst time to do their thing. Like Maul <laughs> picks the worst time to show up. Saito picks the worst time to get worse. God, Cobb picks the worst time to like not shoot her. Yeah, and have regret. It's like you get his job. It's like you. And also, too, he knew she was going to show up at some point. Why didn't he brace himself for the possibility of having to shoot her? I mean, it it was. That was a grand entrance for her, too. Yeah, she just sneaks down from that duct and just shoots Cillian Murphy. Like, man. And there was a good, like, eight seconds that Cobb had to shoot her. And he was just like... What if she's real? Like, dude, she's not real. She's never been real. She hasn't been she's real. She's been in dead years. for a while. <laughs> she's your projection. Gosh. I couldn't even understand. And it's too late when he actually does shoot her. Yeah. And then, you know, I, Fisher is dead in the dream. Yeah. And now Ariadne and Cobb have to go into limbo. Yes. It's known as the unconstructed, just infinite subconscious of whatever is left over from a previous dream. Yeah. Which in this case is Maul and Cobb's Cops. dream that they were hanging out in for 50 years in dream time. They literally lived a life in this yeah, dream. Yeah, a full, a full life. life. Like they built buildings, they everything. They were old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they, they symbolically wash up on the shores of their self-conscious and we see oh, all that, these buildings that, that start to falling <laughs> st- start to fall apart. So poetic. So poetic, but it's kind of a bit ham-fisted with the imagery of, like, yeah. Cobb's mind is literally falling apart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's losing himself. He's losing yeah. touch with reality. He's, he's out of touch with reality this entire movie. Yeah. 
I mean, he, he takes out his totem every chance he gets and spins it around to make sure <laughs> that he's where he's wants to be. But he's he's out of touch the entire movie, and now in Limbo, it's finally catching up with him. And I think he's now starting to realize that I can't continue to live like this. Yeah, he's it it, it took him the entire movie, but that's his arc. Mm-hmm. But now when he's in Limbo and he has no other way out but to c- continue going through Limbo, it's like I have to finish this. I have to do this. I have to get past Maul, and I have to close this part of my life. Mm-hmm. And we see that we see that in the last scene where we find Fisher being held by Maul in limbo. On the porch. On the porch. <laughs> Tied up. Yeah, and Ariadne kind of pushes him off to give him that kick. Yeah, yeah, the kick to oh, wake him up. that kick. Ooh. We'll get into that in a second. I want to finish. All I want the fi- kicks. Yeah, yeah, I want to finish talking about limbo, though. Yes, limbo's so much fun. <laughs> I, I want to go to limbo. I was like, dude, if I could go somewhere, create life, that would be it, limbo. And, and also, too, we like I said, we see Cobb finally let go yes. of Maul. And you mentioned it earlier, like you are just a shade of your former of your former self. You don't have the complexities of my wife. You're just a shade. Uh, it was one of my favorite parts of the film. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just, great line. It was great. And we great see finish. his arc really yeah. just kind of finish here. That was exactly. That was the nice nice bow on his character. But then we get all the kicks, which I have to say, the editing in all those. Tremendous. It's incredible. Oh, this film, I think, won an award for editing. Well, we'll, we'll, so, we'll get to that, though. Oh, totally. I mean, it was just, it was great. The, like we've talked about, the pacing, the editing, the CGI, it was all tremendous. The whole crazy plan worked. It did. They had to change so many things on the fly. And they made it. And they made it. <laughs> the fall off the bridge was like, they made it. They're done. They're good. Boom. <laughs> I mean, and now this takes us to the beginning of the film where Cobb washes up on the shore. And he's finding Saito. Yes. This is So it's, Nolan does this a lot with this kind of like mm-hmm. disjointed editing where he puts scenes that are in the ending of films at the beginning mm-hmm. and vice versa. So we find we see another Nolan technique where he puts the ending of the film at the beginning and we see it now we see oh everything makes sense we see old man Saito who's been trapped in limbo for years Ken Watanabe looked like he aged 40 years and Leonardo DiCaprio now, didn't age a day he's got a scrape on his face and that's it <laughs> I, I guess that counts for aging in the dream world I get, he just doesn't age in real life that's just insane but I mean he finds him he, gets he him finds back. him and then he puts that gun to his head but do you think he actually pulled the trigger and I was always wondering like did they pull it at the same time like because when him and his wife, they, they ended up, so they find out that to get out of limbo, you have to commit suicide. Pretty essentially. much. And so him and his wife, Maul, they end up getting run over by the train. Yes. Which is why the train appears in the prior dream. Mm-hmm. And so I was always wondering, I'm like, do they have to kill themselves by themselves one at a time or is it a together thing? I would think it would have to be a together thing. So they have to time well, cause even, shooting each other at the same time? Well, because also, too, remember when Maul was trying to like get Cobb to go to Dreamworld, they were going to kill themselves together. Mm-hmm. And she had timed it out perfectly. She was on one side of the alley from the hotel. He was on the other. Like, no, we have to jump together. It's like, but I'm just like, dude, Saito's old, man. Yeah. What if he misses? <laughs> he's got the shit. You don't know if he has. You don't know if he has Parkinson's he's, or he's something. He's got old. He's got old. He's got dream Parkinson's. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that while watching the film. Like, what if he has Parkinson's and he misses? What if he miss? What if he misses himself in the yeah. temple? <laughs> oh crap! Oh geez, I hit the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I gotta try again. Yeah, right. No, but, but Cobb's dead. 
<laughs> but it seemed like it worked. It did. It did. They they conveniently awoken just 10 minutes prior to later. yeah which again saito makes that one, one phone, phone call, call that one phone call to illuminati headquarters and Cobb is pardoned forever for Ever. any wrongdoings nothing they just uh, they pull up his sheet and they're like all right yeah and he, he makes it to customs which again he didn't bother to change his passport name no. and he's allowed to just enter back in and michael kane is waiting there for him he's it. just waiting for him like, and hey. we take him back and we finally see these kids yes throughout the entire movie these kids have just been hanged these faceless kids dude they sh- have just been hanging over everybody every level they showed up yes the sidewalk in the rain at the hotel these I, kids were everywhere everywhere man i'm like just turn around just i want to see your face it's it's getting annoying to the point where i'm tired of seeing it but we see Cobb at his kitchen table he takes out his totem and he starts spinning, spinning it around and he doesn't look at it but he runs off to hang out with his kids and we don't see the totem fall no thereby showing the audience that he's back in the real world yeah and him walking away from it is like the symbology of he's letting go of the past do we as an audience do we really need to see that top fall over I guess for people that really like closure. Yeah. And like need it. But we don't need closure in this. No. I mean, seeing Cobb embrace his kids and be happy and to be home, I think that's enough for the audience. That's the that's the payoff of the movie. Yes. Except for the uh, the toxic fandom. <laughs> that's where the toxic fandom of the film comes from. Oh, that's it's where it really came in. Controversial ending. People were just roasting Nolan for the ending because, but, like, oh, you should. <laughs> like, no, let it fall. Like, no. Like, sometimes it's better Ambiguity. for your own mind to make up an ending for yourself. Yeah. If it's better in your mind that the top didn't fall over and Cobb's still stuck in Dreamworld, who cares? Oh, yeah. He's happy. He's with his kids. And if the top did fall over. Who cares? He's back in the real world. He's with these kids and he's happy. Either way, regardless of how the top goes, Cobb is still happy and he's still with his kids and he's home. Exactly. But also, too, Michael Caine kind of ruined that for people. He did. So Michael Caine, because like we talked about, people roasted Nolan for it. But Michael Caine said, no, he's in real world because I'm there. Yeah. And I'm never in his dreams. Yeah. So. Michael Caine had to go and ruin it for and everybody. And I think he said the child actors were older too because mm-hmm. they did that so crazy th- do you want to talk about totems yes a little bit? yeah let's talk about totems what what would you think your totem would be my totem i think i'm pretty sure it would be a chess piece because mm. i love chess mm. so it would probably be a queen chess piece <laughs> seriously well if you feel it on the inside you got to express <laughs> it on the outside right that's right baby <laughs> <laughs> Woo! spring break <laughs> I think I would just have to go with that loaded die. The loaded die? Yeah. All right. I'd take a page out of Arthur's book. Yeah. But honestly, I want to see Eames's totem. Oh, that's right. We don't see Eames's totem. We don't see Eames's totem. We see Ariadne's, that chess piece that gets toppled over. We see Arthur's dice, and we see uh, Cobb's top. We don't see anybody else's totems. That's right. Which to me is just like, well, how do they know? Does Saito have a totem? No. Apparently his totem (laughs) is like death. (laughs) His Or his totem could be money. He is so aware. He has his Illuminati membership keychain. That's That's his totem. He's seen too much of the world, so he doesn't know. He doesn't care. It's like, I don't need a totem. I'm Ken Watanabe. (laughs) Reality is whatever I make it to be. Exactly. I have enough money to make reality (laughs) be whatever I want to (laughs) be. Oh, my gosh. And the pharmacist, you know, he he deals with drugs. So I'm sure he's out of it. He's probably got a hypodermic needle as his totem. (laughs) stabbing himself dang it it's not going in i guess i'm in the dream world 
Oh, it went in and it's painful. I'm back in real life. <laughs> oh, you know what Toxic Phantom talked about? Uh, Cobb. So they said that uh, Maul's, like the top, wasn't actually his totem. And he said that his totem was actually his wedding ring. Ooh. Because they say whenever you watch the film and whenever he's in the dream world, he's wearing his wedding ring. But when he's outside of the dream world, reality, he's not wearing it. Hmm. Because I guess when he gives his passport, he's not wearing his wedding ring. Oh, so they're like, okay. They're like, that's the truth. He just spins the top because he likes tops. Apparently. Because he wants to like he likes the about kids' games. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, so we've we've come to the end of the movie. Now I think we can get into post production for a little bit. So sure. I, let's talk about a little bit for that Hans Zimmer score. That Blair, this really oh. kind of started the whole that blaring score Gosh. that we see in so many movies now. That <laughs> that's in so many movies now. I told someone that we're reviewing this film, and then that's the noise that they made. <laughs> well, apparently, this is actually um, a motif that's used in the movie because you know how they play that song to kind of let people in the dream know, "Hey, your kick's coming soon." Okay, and when you slow it down, it does that. Bray. Oh. Well, apparently, the song they really? use is um, a song by Edith uh, Piaf, who it's called uh, "Non J'en ai regret rien." Okay. By Edith Piaf, so that's the inspiration for that blaring horns. Nice. Another interesting fact too: Marion Cotillard, who plays Maul, actually won an Academy Award for portraying Edith Piaf. My gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, I think she was like the first French actress to win an Academy Award in a long time. Wow. Because I remember when she won, I was like, "Who are you?" Yeah, right. Who is this beautiful woman? <laughs> right. Who's this femme fatale who's going to show up in every single Christopher Nolan film after this? Every. Oh my god. <laughs> so also too, if you take the the letter the first letters of all the characters' names, so you've got Dom, Robert, Eames, Arthur, Maul, and Saito. You know what that spells out? Dreams. Dreams. Jesus. And then if you take the other characters, Peter, Ariadne, and Yusuf, you get pay. You get <laughs> dreams pay. Dreams pay. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that cute? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean we talked about, I mean, we mentioned earlier, the editing in this movie is amazing with the kicks. The visual yes. effects are incredible. The cinematography is great. We can talk now about the legacy of the movie a bit. So this film, it was nominated for eight Academy Awards. Which is incredible right off the bat that they gave eight nominations to a movie like this. Because the Academy kind of looks down on these summer blockbusters a yes. little bit. That's right. Yeah. It came out in July and it's high grossing. Mm -hmm. A lot of Academy films are always like these low budget indie films. Exactly. It's crazy. So eight Oscars. What was it nominated for? So it was nominated for uh, Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Original Score, Best Cinematography, Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Visual Effects. And it won those last four, right? Yes. It won the last four, which it was... we been talking about the editing the cinematography the visual effects mm -hmm. is great i mean in every christopher nolan film he's so good with the practical effects. well to me the fact that he wasn't nominated for best director is a crime with when they they expanded the best picture category i wanted about 10 11 years ago but they didn't expand best director mm-hmm to me, if you're going to do that, if you're going to expand one category, then you should expand the other ones. Because if you do a best picture and you're not nominated as best director, that's kind of like a screw you. Yeah. Because their film, it's the guy that 
freaking wrote it. Yeah, and Christopher Nolan has done so many great movies. His first Best Director nomination was for Dunkirk. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That's insane. And Dunkirk is an amazing movie. Don't get me wrong with that. But he's done other amazing movies, too. And to kind of be snubbed, for lack of a better word, for so long is crazy. It is. At least he finally got it, though. Yeah, well, he's he has yet to win a best picture. He will, I think, but he's gonna have to. I mean, he's got to do something. They talk about all of his films. Like this film is discussed in like theater, like Mm -hmm. college, like Harvard. Yeah, this is kind of lauded as an example of how to write a screenplay, how to direct a movie, how to manage all kinds of technical aspects. This is really held up as a top example. And as a director for the 2000s, I mean, every one of his films are just incredible. He is definitely the director of the 2000s. Totally. I mean, his Batman trilogy changed the game for all superhero films. We will see a new wave of directors who are directly inspired by Christopher Nolan. By far. I mean, he had, I mean, just his range of films that he's directed. I mean, we have Memento, Insomnia, The Prestige, the Batman trilogy that he did, um, this movie, Interstellar, Dunkirk, and I guess he's got a new movie coming out next year that nobody knows what it's about. <laughs> all, all that they're going to say is that it's an event film, quote unquote. An event film? An event film. What the heck is that? <laughs> Apparently, like the next Avengers movie? I don't know. <laughs> that's, what the, that's what they're making it sound like by calling it an event movie. Oh my gosh. I mean, to me, though, this is definitely one of the better genre benders. You've got science fiction elements, which is why it's on our show. Mm-hmm. You have heist elements. And you've got noir. You've got the femme, uh, femme fatale. You have the the settings to it and everything. And it, it's consistently ranked as one of the best or most influential films of all time. Mm-hmm. Already. I mean, to me, though, I mean, I think it, it may be a bit premature to make those arguments, though. Yeah. I mean, it's only been out for, it's not even been out for nine years. Yeah, it's not even, a, yeah, it's not even a decade. Yeah. So, I, what, what would you say? 20 years? I would say, yeah, 25? 20 years is a good kind of place to start reviewing movies like that. Yeah. I mean, because now, I mean, unless I mean, this movie wasn't exact, it didn't start any like instant phenomenon like Jaws did by creating the summer blockbuster genre. That is, but yeah. it definitely got the conversation going of, well, where does this stand in Christopher Nolan's neg- legacy, mm-hmm. and where does this stand in general in terms of summer blockbusters? Because it did come out in July. At the time, it was a very original movie, which is a lot of what audiences are kind of craving mm-hmm. nowadays. These newer original concepts with you know these classic you know well-known directors yeah a lot of people want these movies and it was i think well i think it was part of like uh the whole genre bending because he definitely he he it's i wouldn't say it was one of the first but it was one of the most like it's one of the most well-known genre benders period yeah i mean it grossed over 800 million so i would think that kind of jumped for like people that want to have big budget films that bend the genre well the sci-fi category itself is just ripe for having genre bender bender films oh totally there's so much there's so many it definitely it's it's paved way for like a sci-fi comedy (laughs) sci-fi well also i mean christopher nolan has also expressed interest in kind of expanding the inception universe not exactly act uh really making a sequel but doing a video game sequel oh that's rad which I think would be interesting. Like, if we get a Red Dead Redemption 2 style game set in the Inception world, I think that could be a good game. I, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I, there really isn't. Is there any games out like Inception where you can just, like, manifest whatever you want? Well, I mean, there's, like, SimCity and The Sims. Like, there's Minecraft. There's Minecraft, but I think that's more just, like, I'm going to build a castle just, just to do it. Yeah. 
Well, couldn't you do that though with Inception too? I don't. I Just feel gonna... like if you were going to do an Inception video game, it has to be somewhat story based. Yeah, and you have to create something. Because if it's like wide worlds and you just start bending everything, then yeah. it's like that's it's like a Grand Theft Auto. You're just gonna be attacked by a bunch of <laughs> you kill enough in the cops. You put in a cheat code and just everybody starts attacking you with baseball bats. <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. I mean I would I would play the hell out of that video game. <laughs> I mean if it's a if we get a Red Dead redemption style video game based on the inception universe, I would I would take the week off of work and just spend all my time playing that game. Oh my god. I mean, but this movie—it was an instant phenomenon. It was—it was being parodied everywhere. I mean, even South Park did a parody episode about Inception. It's true. And now there's just all these throwaway lines and sitcoms about, oh yeah, not wanting to be Inception or like, or did you see that movie? I think musicians have made some songs about it, like Bob. He made this album, Strange Clouds. Oh jeez, said that was based off of Inception. <laughs> of course, it was. So many. <laughs> I mean, I think we've talked enough about the movie. What do you say we rate the movie? I'm down. All right. So on our show, we have kind of a four-tiered rating system. We have a, a we our first level is would not watch. Yes. Our second level is would watch. <laughs> third level is would own. Mm-hmm. And our third and I don't want to say most prestigious. Um, our final level is would host viewing parties. Would host a viewing party. Yeah. I mean, for me. I really enjoy this movie, and I enjoy it every single time I watch it. However, I think the dream levels are what would throw people off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, I mean, even when I first when I saw it for the first time, I was like, okay, there, it's a dream within yeah. a dream within a dream. Like, like, where are they? Like, what's going on on these levels? Like, how do they wind up in limbo? What's going on? So I feel like that would definitely throw off first time viewers of the movie because it threw me yeah. off. Oh, totally. It's definitely a film you have to watch more than once. However, this is very approachable sci-fi. It is. It gets you kind of thinking like, well, what are other movies like this where there are like these alternate reality type movies? And that's definitely what this is. I mean, even though it is taking place in the dream, like reality is what you make it in your dream. Oh, there you go. Look at that. (laughs) Wow. So for me, this would definitely be in the would own category. All right. Like, if, if if we get a level beyond Blu-ray, which I guess there's a 4K Ultra now. What? Like, yeah, I would I would definitely buy this on 4K Ultra. 4K Ultra. What is that? Is that when the is that like 4D? Do you feel? I like don't think it's four, no. It's not like an IMAX movie or anything like that. But I think you need like another special like Blu-ray player or a special player in the TV for it. But I would definitely get an enhanced version of this. Oh, rock on. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I mean we, like I said, you mean you can't deny that this is, the movie is very original. Yeah, totally. And it's definitely one of Nolan's essential films. Like, if we if we wind up having to put this movie on a gold disc into space for Christopher Nolan movies, like, this has to be <laughs> included on that gold disc for aliens to find one day. Those poor aliens. Those poor aliens are not going to know so what this movie much. is about. They're going to be like, what is dreaming? <laughs> We've evolved beyond And who's this Leo person they keep talking about? (laughs) Why do they keep sending us stuff? Yeah, we don't want stuff. We're tired of these things. (laughs) This is what happened to Earth? What what do you think of the movie, Sean? I would say I would own. I Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. I do have it. It's it's a classic film. I think I watch it once a year. Right, yeah. I, I, I recommend it to every person. That wants to get a good taste of cinematography, great film, edit, like a good story. I say, check out Inception. Yes, absolutely. 
It's got my rate, man. Well, I think we've talked enough about Inception. What do you say we pick our next movie? I am down. All right. Well, we're going to enlist the help of our friendly random number generator AI, which we have dubbed Major Samantha. She is very lovely. She's going to help us out with this. So we have a list of 118 movies. Jesus. So, we're, yeah, it's a long list. We'll, <laughs> we'll get through it. we got plenty of shows to get through. We do. So we'll put one through 118, and it has come up with number 20, which is the 1985 Robert Zemeckis-directed classic titled Back to the Future. <laughs> Sweet. I am jazzed to be talking about this. I love Me this too. movie. Full disclosure, absolutely love it. And again, Same. we're, we're going to spoil the movie, yeah. but that movie's been out for almost 35 years. You have no reason <laughs> to complain about being ruined for the spoilers. <laughs> so I think that about wraps it up for this iteration of Force Fed Sci-Fi. If you j- enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It really helps drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Forcefed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you can find podcasts. And please subscribe so you never miss an episode. And finally, you can check out our website, ForcefedSciFi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for myself and Sean Cope, we'll see you next time. Force-fed sci-fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design and associate producer is Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.